Hey everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the show and just remind everyone that we have shirts in the shop. Go to pgttcm.com. You can pick up shirts, stickers. We even have those shower curtains I was talking about last time. Also, you can join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Check out the show notes and learn how you can be a part of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, help support the show any way you can. Patreon users, uh, you get a free sticker, at least. So check out what we've got. Uh, Show notes, that's where you're going to find our PayPal link and our sponsors and any information about any guests that are on the show and where to find them. Thank you. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. 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 It's me, D.B. Spitzer. It's early December, and it's People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. With me, as always, is my friend and yours to my virtual right, David Heath. How the heck is it going today, Farmer Dave? I am well. Yeah, good Good to hear. Good to hear. How's everything out at the goat farm? It is, it is well. We have erected our giant uh, goat, and we're just waiting for Minions forces to come burn it down. Yeah. Every yeah. year we build this giant goat and we protect it from another guy who tries to burn it down because he's a jerk yeah yeah that's uh, it's also like scandinavian tradition but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he's still a jerk yeah 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 things are uh i'm 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 uh i I wasn't in uh oleander this weekend i actually trucked up to portland uh andrew migliori of the hp lovecraft film festival asked me and sarah if we wanted to uh go um if we wanted to go do karaoke so we did karaoke with uh andrew migliori and gwen callahan and uh plant expert heather art anderson and we karaoke'd it up in southeast portland and it was a lot of fun i i highly recommend karaoke uh with andrew migliori uh no matter what you will feel like a karaoke rock star <laughs> compared okay. to <laughs> did you do John, uh, genre songs or just regular pop songs or did you sing german or oh oh uh, I, I i did what i normally do which is a mixture of uh novelty punk uh from the late 80s uh blood in the saddle kind of uh country songs from the 40s and 50s and uh then just like generally terrible music uh from the 60s and 70s that i enjoy just it, it's 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 uh kind of like my 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 uh karaoke repertoire is uh designed to drive other people out of the karaoke establishment so me and my friends can sing as much as we want uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, you know, so we can do our jump kicks and knee slides. And actually, that's just Heather. I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. But uh, yeah, here we are. Uh, yeah. So I've done maybe. I, I just you want me to come up and talk about UFOs or Lovecraft? I'll do it all day. But uh, yeah. I, I just, I get really, really self-conscious doing uh-huh. karaoke. So you know what my go-to karaoke song is? What is that, Dave? It is Don't Know Much About History by Sam Cooke. Gotcha, gotcha. Because it's short. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have a lot of weird. It's short and it's out. Oh, that's a real song. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, well, you know, this is not the People's Guide to Karaoke. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. It was good to see uh, people from the Cthulhu uh, community out in the open. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all had masks on when we weren't drinking alcohol or singing. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, hey, if, if, if you like having fun, have we got an episode for you? We are going to be talking about colors out of space we are going to be talking about an ancient 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 city that uh, people abandoned and why they abandoned it and also we've 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 got a an interview uh with uh who do we got an interview with there dave it's going to be Teresa Halverson. Oh, cool. Who, in addition to writing horror fiction, yeah. she has a blog about the ghost on a boat called the Star of India. Whoa, that sounds and cool. As well as as handling, um, oh, um, she is uh, doing editing work. So oh, nice. Uh, quite, a, quite a bit of uh, things that she's all doing at once. So she is... Probably one of the most um, busy yeah. people that we interview. So okay. we are really glad that um, that she was able to uh, spend some time, take some time out of her busy schedule, and, and talk to us about all the different projects she's working on. Yeah, definitely one of the most fun people you'll meet. Nice, very nice, very cool. All right. Uh, just a quick reminder to everyone, we are brought to you this month by Copper Cow Coffee. I had some, uh, I, I do a monthly D&D game. Not a monthly, I do several days a week. I, I, I watch 10-year-olds and we play D&D. And uh, the other day, I was really, really, really tired and I needed to pick me up. So I made myself some Copper Cow Coffee and did it into a tall, uh, what do you call those? Uh, You drink beer out of them, pint glasses. I I did it into a pint glass with some ice underneath and I made myself a nice coffee. I didn't put the ice until afterwards, but uh, yeah, and the kids were all like really, really impressed with the coffee. I mean, I wasn't doing it to impress a bunch of 10 year olds. I don't do anything to impress 10 year olds except for kick ass at D&D and they were like wow this is cool so you know if you want to like entertain children and have really good Vietnamese pour over iced coffee whatever uh, I don't drink sweetened condensed milk but some of the lattes do come with well, all the lattes come with sweetened condensed milk and if you're not on a subscription plan it's like eight coffees for $17 uh, eight lattes for $17 and eight coffees for $14. And it's significantly less if you join a subscription plan. Copper Cow Coffee, uh, Vietnamese coffee to you. And it's so good. I really highly recommend it. All right. So, hey, Dave, uh, what what do you know about uh, those colors out of space? 
Oh, I know quite a bit about Colorado space, or if I do say so, it's kind of uh, self-promoting. Sure. So one thing about the Colorado space, the story, the text, mm-hmm. it was the story that Lovecraft was the happiest with. Yeah. Several times he wrote, you know, he said, this is, this is, you know, I felt good. He, he liked this story and he is notorious for just tearing his own works apart. He's basically going to quit writing the end of his life mm-hmm. because of the reviews out of uh, Mountains of Madness. Okay. But he is happy with Colorado space. And it came from sort of this idea uh, that Lovecraft thought that if some, if there were aliens out there, mm-hmm. They would be alien. Yeah. They would not. He was really bothered by sort of the stories he was reading where the aliens were like humans painted green with antennas. Mm -hmm. He just didn't believe, you know, if there were things out in space, there was going to be alien. Yeah. So he's going to try to create this creature that the only thing that he has in common with things on Earth is that it has a color. A color that's never been seen on Earth, but that's the only thing that can be sort of identified as relatable to human beings. Uh Now, of course, Lovecraft, Lovecraft wanted to be an astronomer. Yeah. He wanted to go to Brown University. He wanted to be an astronomer, but he he just realized his math was not up to it. He just could not do math very well, uh, partially because he was so sick and missed so much days in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, but he, he published, you know, uh, amateur astronomy articles. Uh, he read astronomy magazines. And so this debate that he's sort of having or, or fight he's picking with the other science fiction writers is going to be carried on close to 80, well, 50, 80, even now, mm-hmm. is this sort of theoretical idea, if aliens do exist... What will they look like? Yeah. And this idea that aliens are going to be so strange that human beings can't even practically identify with them. Mm-hmm. That's going to be championed by uh, Carl Sagan. Okay. Uh, Cosmos writer, you know, aliens are going to be alien. And there's a backlash theory reaction to that mm-hmm. in the last 20 years or so that are, why would evolution be different in space than it is on Earth. Yeah. That, you know, if you're going to have a, a, you know, an intelligent, uh, tool raising, tool using race, it makes sense that they're bipedal. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that they have a large brain, that they have hands and to, you know, something to manipulate tools with. Mm -hmm. So Lovecraft, before this was even a thing, he is firmly on the aliens are going to be very, very alien concept. Yeah. Or idea. Or, or side of the track. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's 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 a cool thing about Color Out of Space is the fact that Lovecraft was very much like, this is going to be an alien. And I really li- kind of like the fact that Lovecraft was very much so like, Lovecraft's aliens were never, oh, it 
kind of looks like a dude. <laughs> oh, he would have he would have hated Star Trek. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pointy ears and wrinkles on. That's not an alien. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's uh, what I've always liked to call shit on the forehead makeup. Is Star Trek. <laughs> and I love Star Trek. I love the stories. I love you know Vulcan. But he, oh, Lovecraft would have hated. Yeah. Hated the, uh, you know. He, he, he would have liked the crystalline entity you know? yeah. I think he would have thought that was a good alien yeah yeah and, and part, oh man I hate to go off on a Star Trek tangent right now but part of me always wishes that the Klingons were more Gorn like like the Klingons like weren't even humanoid but yeah. were like a reptilian race or something because it's like I don't know. I ah, personally, I, I I have a hard time being like, wait a minute, that far in the future, um, unless the Klingons are constantly the protagonists. I, I I imagine that like the Federation would probably be a lot of humanoid races being like, we got to protect ourselves against those gaseous and crystalline beings out there that have alien thinking that we can't really, you know. Anyway, but. Um, yeah, that's that's just me speculating, but I don't know. Gene Rottenberry and his brain, who knows? Uh, <laughs> but, well, you know what? And this is the science fiction that uh, uh, that always reminds me, and it's just a throwaway line in uh-huh. the book. Yeah, it reminds me of the color out space. Mm-hmm. Is Douglas Adams' uh, Hitchhiker's Guide? Yeah, that one of the alien races that built the the Heart of Gold, the main spaceship. Mm-hmm is an ultra intelligent shade of blue yeah yeah i i that the moment i read that i and i read that before i read color out of space but i thought that was probably the funniest thing i'd ever read mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. and here's lovecraft saying well that's not funny let me tell you what it's gonna do to you yeah yeah no 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 douglas adams and lovecraft uh, could be given the same topic and one will write a science fiction uh comedy and the other one will write science fiction horror i mean it's just i mean that's like lovecraft's attempts at comedy um (laughs) are horrific (laughs) in more ways than one if you've ever read uh oh what's his name uh reanimator uh herbert west um that Ugh, I, I don't want to get on that soapbox again, but Herbert West, uh, not the greatest story in my opinion for multiple reasons. But but, but you're right, it was published in a comedy. It magazine. was, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, colors out of space. What are they? Well, they are an alien life form. Yeah, that it's not it. <laughs> It, it's almost it's not energy mm-hmm. it's not solid matter yeah but it reproduces mm-hmm. it has children yeah and it has color and it flies through space and lands on in certain areas and reproduces mm-hmm. but its mere existence probably because of radiation is disastrous to humans and human life form than Mm -hmm. other earthly life forms. Okay. All right. Uh, I believe the folks at Miskatonic, it may have been a different scientific institute, uh, found a piece of one or captured one or something, I believe. It was being studied uh, in, in, in the short story. In, in the short story. 
So the it, but it, it disappears soon. Yeah, it disappears. So parts do land, and you're right. So and, and the, uh, so parts of it do land, and so some of the Miskatonic uh, uh, people do um, they do study it, but it, it, it sort of disappears. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it like just slowly faded out or if it became solid or what it was with that because um, that's like the last few times I've I've, I've read it, I just kind of skimmed through that so I could get to the uh, pigs turning into gray dust and uh, wife being locked in an attic or basement. It's <laughs> the good stuff. The good stuff, yeah, yeah, the stuff that uh, really gives it kind of like I don't know the the the, the modern horror that I really like, like a uh, kind of like imagining like what happened if there was some sort of like what happened if like if it wasn't nearly as bad and it went on for like a generation or two and the family isolated themselves like thinking about that kind of thing and then like adding in a texas chainsaw massacre element it's like if you have a family that isolates and they can't grow food maybe they sustain themselves on passengers who break down and maybe try they start making the roads rot anyway i <laughs> so, so, so here's something that's yeah. like, and i'm not sure that if the, the math is exactly right. Sure, yeah. But if the Earth, for some reason, rotated 12 hours slower mm -hmm. than it did, yeah. than it does, the Tunguska explosion would have been over Moscow. Interesting. So, and, and this is, now, this is completely fiction, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. if these things, you know, and Lovecraft, of course, he picked Lovecraft country, mm -hmm. and he, you know, picked this isolated area, but you know, what if something like that fell in New York? Yeah. Or Boston? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised somebody hasn't already written stories like that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no. That would be very interesting if, uh, like, phew, uh, land, like, like if a color out of space landed in Boston Commons. Uh, if, if, if a color out of space landed, uh, I don't know, like in San Francisco Bay. I mean, there's, there's, there's places, there's things. And, uh, with its, with its, uh, I don't know, with its, uh, relativity to water and stuff like that. It seems like it needs to be in water to reproduce. And what if you combine color out of space with the king in yellow, you get the two colors together and you, get you I don't know what you get. You, you, you get an undefined yellow, I think is what you get. And, um, so you combine your color out of space and you combine your king in yellow. I know this isn't the D&D &D COC part, but, you know, you, you started out as a color out of space and then you, like, I don't know, while you're investigating that, you end up tripping off stuff in the king in yellow. So anyway, <laughs> just a thought, just a thought. As soon as I said San Francisco Bay, I'm like, oh, there could be a king in yellow game. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, no, I... Um, Color out of space is an interesting thing. Yeah, and um, so I consider this. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's obviously a horrific parts, so but I consider this strongly science fiction. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, when I was young, and I'm maybe junior high school, maybe high school, mm -hmm. someone had given me like a bookstore gift certificate. And for Christmas, and I got this sort of coffee table book of you know science fiction, mm -hmm. and I was really excited when I was looking in the you know the index they had the put section on 
Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. And this and this says when I looked it up, it said that the color out of space was Lovecraft's only science fiction story. Huh. Now I'm thirteen to fifteen and you know so I I accepted that for years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. until I started really reading and understanding uh uh, Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to disagree with that. I yeah. think that there are a lot of science fiction uh, Lovecraft stories, including um, Whispers in the Darkness, yeah. I think is very much. We know, um, though, and I will give that book credit where it's due, um, the one he wrote on Venus, mm-hmm. the, the, the Walls of Iraq, or however yeah. it's pronounced, that wasn't published in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, but that's that was his attempt at a true Gernsback science fiction story. Yeah. So, I think Lovecraft is a lot more science fiction out of you know um, of um, that, that people give him credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, one of the first things I think of when I think of Lovecraftian science fiction is at the Mountains of Madness. They build stuff. They they, they, they have scientific uh, instruments that do not exist. Uh, they they, they uh, do things that aren't quite uh, possible yet. They use fantastical machines. They uh, encounter alien Bio races. Genetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like, and then the alien race has like biogenetics and has all kinds of like ways to communicate using like walls. And uh, it's it's just stuff like that. It's like that's pure science fiction with horror elements. Uh, you know, the Shoggoth is, is 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 a horrible horror creature, but it's also an amazing sci-fi monster. Like I would call a Shoggoth more of a sci-fi monster than like a horror monster. Yeah, it is horrible, but I mean, it's 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 pure science fiction. It's it's the uh, it's anyway. We're we're not talking about Shoggoths. We're talking about the color out of space. But color out of space, same thing. It's 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 not like. It's not some boogeyman that, like, lurks under your bed. It's not some skeleton that, you know, lurks in the graveyard. This is out of space. This is from, like, the kind of thing that is... Ah, it's 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 like Lovecraft's lazy. It's unimaginable. There aren't words to describe it. It's it's you know it's it's a color out of space, but it works this way. It's like it it literally is undescribable by humanity. We have no comparison. We have we have no way. Words do not you know words are failing us. This thing is something else. This thing is completely other it doesn't even correspond with a color we can see Uh, absolutely and the thing that I think the remember uh, sort of the uh, no absolutely this is where the kind of like the shark Mm -hmm. in in Jaws yeah the 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 less is more Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm It's also the thing about color out of space. Yeah. Is Lovecraft is notorious for not being filmable. Mm -hmm. But this is his most filmed, uh, I'm pretty sure it's his most filmed story. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have 
so many different versions uh, with um, Die Monster Die mm-hmm. and had Karloff. Yeah. Uh, we have Will Wheaton in one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have this just hilarious take off on uh, where Stephen King plays this sort of oh, Amish yeah. farmer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it, you know, he imagined, and he, I broke the beater eye, you know. And, uh, and then, of course, we've got uh, the most uh, a recent version uh, with uh, Stanley's Color Out of Space, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is just an amazing, amazing movie. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it. Uh, I know Nick Cage is in it. Yeah, uh, and he, uh, Richard Stanley, does a great job mm-hmm. directing Cage, so he doesn't go over the board. Oh, okay. And and until it's the time for him to go crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, <laughs> in fact, um, just again, sort of a trivia, but a couple of years ago, uh, when they had the Lovecraft Film Festival, you could go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name got pulled to be like in a breakout with Richard Stanley. Okay. And so we're like one of the first people that he said, he, he told that it's going to have, that he had signed Richard, uh, I mean, uh, Nicholas Cage. Mm -hmm. Um, and he said, you know, we got $6 million. Oh, wow. He said, he says, of which a million dollars goes to Nick Cage. Yeah. Yeah. $2 million. (laughs) Everybody else gets paid it's two million dollars. Mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. says, so we basically have three million dollars to make the movie. Yeah. And the part uh in part that you told about uh in, I know you haven't I'm not really spoiling it, but mm-hmm. uh because these are things that didn't make it into the movie. Sure. But to- Tommy Chong plays this character that he it, it, you can tell parts are cut out from the Tommy Chong uh-huh. arc. Uh-huh. But he's like this retired uh electrical engineer who has gone out to the mountains to make drugs and stuff but he's he's got these cameras all over the place so he can see you know the color and the effect mm-hmm. and so Richard Stanley lives in the, the Cother castle that was besieged you know uh, by the holy Ch- uh, by the Catholic Church mm-hmm. and the knights um, he actually he is at, or at least at the time he was the keeper of the you know the Cothic castle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so he lives in France and he said that basically that was based on somebody who lived not too far away from him who was so obsessed with aliens coming down and crop circles he basically wired this entire mountain the guy lives on or hill that the guy lives on yeah but and I'm, I can only imagine that just that with only three million dollars left they just couldn't afford it yeah. but he had this idea that when the color came out of space they would the color among other things is this vibration mm. and so you would start seeing the pine trees vibrating and vibrating and then as it moved down the glass that was broken on the road would vibrate yeah. in the same manner in the same pulse gotcha I, and uh, yeah no I and I get what that must have been just a that's an amazing idea for mm-hmm. you know, and and the increase to the alienness of the uh, color out of space. But that would probably been an incredibly expensive shot. Yeah, and you know, color out of space is also affected a couple things. Uh, t- I mean, King obviously King plays you know that one. But, sure. Uh, I think he's pretty open that Tommy Knockers was he got the idea. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and one author, um, the Southern Reach uh, series, I don't know if you've seen, they made a movie uh, with Luke Skywalker's mother. Oh, uh, I don't uh, know. Annihilation. Oh, uh, no, I haven't seen that. So Annihilation uh, is, a, is a good movie. Uh, it suffers a little like all movies. Most movies I do, it kind of drags or kind of at the, the third act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Annihilation is part of a series, a, tr- a trilogy called The Southern Reach. Okay. Uh, uh, books. And the author claims that he, he, he claims that he had never read color out of space okay but it's the same thing this meteorite crashes in to um a uh, a lighthouse in florida uh-huh. and then that whole sort of area of florida and georgia basically becomes another dimension huh. it's trapped in another dimension yeah and things and just like in color out of space Everything's begin to mutate, mm. and so they send in teams of soldiers and scientists, and all of them get wiped out. Okay. So they say, well, you know, one thing we've done every other sort of example, we haven't sent in an all-female team, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and it's basically uh, what happens, you know, to this team when it goes into this this area that's basically mutated by. What is more or less this giant color out of space? Yeah, yeah. And I, I have to say, I, I, I can understand how someone can come up with something Lovecraftian without actually having read the original text. There's so much stuff out there that I remember, like, I, I, I don't, I didn't seriously start reading Lovecraft until my 20s. I read some stuff when I was like 11 or 12. I heard some stuff when I was like a real little kid. But there's so much Lovecraft that has bled into like monster movies in the 40s and 50s and comics books and other writers and that stuff went out there it's like you have movies that are like semi lovecrafty and you have stories that are semi lovecrafty and where it ends up being devils instead of outer weirdness or anything like that but it's like people there's there's all kinds of stories out there that i i feel like they took a lovecraftian seed and ran with it or hell even like to the point there it's like from the same source material whether it be uh arabian nights lord dunsany uh other pulp authors out there but yeah no 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 i i I feel like you can kind of tell when someone's like taking lovecraft and like really derives their stuff from Lovecraft and then I can I feel like you know something that has women in it <laughs> but yeah not no, so much yeah not so much but uh, yeah no it's 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 definitely something that that I, I feel like we run across a lot um, or you know if, if you're a horror lover or a science fiction lover there's there's definitely like you know Lovecraft didn't create everything that he's even thinking of uh, more of kind of an an amalgam but if people like take those things that you know like kind of like take those pieces apart you've you've still got good ideas if you know you 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 don't make your haunted house a uh a town on the edge of uh you know it's it's like people don't have to be fish people there could be another terrible secret that, that a town has uh there's there's just stuff like that anyway i'm i'm done talking about how like people rip off lovecraft without ripping off lovecraft but 
Well, I think we covered quite a bit of things. That's pretty much what I had in um, uh, Colorado space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know we kind of avoided the the story there. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing though, I kind of maybe before is that, of course, at the end, the town is covered up by water. Yeah. And and there's going to be a a lot of speculation. It's by a dam. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, we know a little bit about. It's one of those I characters. Yeah. Uh, we never get the the character's name, but we know enough about the narrator in this that it's definitely not um, Randolph Carter. Randolph Carter. It's someone from outside of town who has to research outside- stuff. Yeah. And, and, and he's an engineer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which Randolph he, Carter is not. <laughs> yeah. So so um, and I don't think that Lovecraft ever named him. So. Uh, in the in the most recent movie is I believe Ward Phillips, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is you know Lovecraft's first and middle name. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he's also um, African American. Okay, cool. Which makes a a, a a nice twist, and the and the guy who played it played played the part great. Good. Um, so definitely, it's one of those characters. And here's something else though, and, and I'm going to throw this out. And it is probably the biggest coincidence. Uh-huh. But first of all, so it wasn't, there's a couple of, of cities that were f- flooded or abandoned cities that were flooded by dams. Mm-hmm. And th- they think that maybe Lovecraft got the idea from. Yeah. But dams were a pretty common project back then. Yeah. In fact, it's going to be a dam project that... Whipple Phillips, his grandfather, Lovecraft's grandfather, is going to lose the family money in. Oh. So I've always wondered, nobody has ever said, and it probably is a coincidence, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I've always wondered, you know, and I don't think Lovecraft ever wrote anything about it, but, you know, it, it's what destroyed his family, it also destroys the city. Ah, yeah, yeah. And best of nobody that ever commented Lovecraft, it probably just is this big coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Huh interesting so we've got an interview up next and who's that interview with it's going to be with Teresa Halverson Ooh, cool very cool all right well uh we'll be talking to Teresa in a moment and then after that Dave and I are going to be talking about Camorium and how to use it in your D&D or Call of Cthulhu or fantasy science fiction future whatever campaign all right we'll see after and it's the break. not something that you put in your um your vietnamese latte no 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 it's uh, well, it, it sounded like a powdered milk drink it, it, it'd, it'd be pretty hard to put a ancient uh capital city in your your uh, golden goat no no wait a minute golden goats are cbd sponsor if you're having problems sleeping if you have anxiety uh, i i switched to golden goat recently little dropper ones but i I, there was so much packaging and i always felt like i was like had these little droppers and everything like that and honestly uh cbd gummies uh really help with my anxiety a lot more than i want to say that the cbd oil did and the oil's rough on my stomach but uh yeah uh, go to the show notes and you can check out golden goat cbd gummies delta nine it's not the delta variant it's uh or delta eight it's it's uh Delta 8 THC. Anyway, uh, yeah. And of course, uh, Copper Copper Cow is our uh, Vietnamese uh, 
coffee uh, sponsor, and I highly recommend them. Uh, they have a Earl Grey latte that I can't drink because of the sugar and uh, the milk. So I just, I don't drink it as a latte. I just drink it as like Earl Grey coffee tea, and it's really good. I have to highly recommend it. And uh, Dave, let's go to that interview. I have the faintest idea what that is. Right. And we are back, and I am really excited today. Uh, we have uh, Teresa Howerson, and she, um, I'm going to let Teresa, if you don't mind, if you could maybe introduce yourself to our audience. Sure, I'd love to. Um, so first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. I always uh, really appreciate it. Um, but as David said, my name's Teresa, and I, oh my gosh, I do so much. So I'm a speculative fiction um, author, um, and I have multiple books out, both uh, fiction and um, a creative nonfiction piece. Um, I am one of the hosts of the Semi-Sages of the Pages, it's a really fun podcast for writers, um, and it's all about our writing journey and all the stuff we're discovering. And then I'm also one of the co-owners of No Bad Books Press. Um, we're a small press that we just opened up to uh, to queries. So, and, and um, may I hi- say, I love the name of that company. Isn't that great? Yeah, we I- we love it. Um, well, that sounds like you are extremely busy. I am, I am, and then with no bad books, I'm, um, I'm the chief editor there, so I do all the all the editing. So, yeah, it's so, fun. Uh, uh, yeah, it's like you barely have time to breathe. Right. Now, now you, and we'll make sure that we've got some links here in, in the the show notes. But uh, so you write uh, fiction, but don't you also some of your stories are include like. Uh, true, real ghost stories? Yeah, yeah. So we've got a creative nonfiction piece. I actually co-authored that with my business partner, S. Faxon. Uh, it's called Lost Aboard, and it's true ghost stories from aboard Star of India. Star of India is a tall ship in the San Diego Harbor. A and beautiful it's, boat. Beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I mean, it looks like a pirate ship. It truly yeah. does. So I'm going off the top of my memory, but that's the one the little boy was supposed to have fallen off of the crow's nest? He did. He did. Yes, he fell off. Um, He broke his legs. He did not regain consciousness. But he uh, is one of the primary ghosts aboard Star of India. Um, And he's very self-aware. Most ghosts are not self-aware. He is very self-aware, um, and he's kind of a prankster. Um, mm. He uh, he took the keys of um, S. Faxon uh, opera belts one day. Um, he likes oh. to kick people, um, and, and it's like playful kicking. He just kind of like kicks at them. Well, like um, kids do. Yeah, exactly. He was a kid. And there's reports that he um, likes to get down below when people are kind of like by themselves, and he'll trace letters on their backs. Oh, wow. Yeah. But again, it's always very playful. Um, you know, there's been mediums aboard and mediums have um, spoken to him and says that, you know, he's very kind. He enjoys interacting, especially with children. And he loves it when people talk about him and tell the story of him. So, yeah. That's interesting. Now, I guess no matter what 
the idea of anything in print is is to tell a good entertaining story and, and keep the audience intrigued but do you find that when you're writing say fiction and historical or events is it is it different from you as a writer no it, for me it's not because it always is about the people so hmm. yet whether they're real or not um, and in, in my head my characters are, are real to me and, and that's that's part of my job is to make them real and so with lost aboard we did um we worked very hard to imagine what these people's lives were like when they were aboard star of india so another um very popular ghost is uh, mick barnett he um killed himself he slit his own throat and then when they tried to sew him up, he ripped out his stitches and that that's eventually what killed him. Um, and there's been a lot, we've done a lot of digging and we actually have a historian helping us um, to dig into his life a little bit more about how he ended up aboard Star of India. We know he was drunk when he came aboard. We know his family paid for him to come aboard um, and we know he didn't want to be there. So um, it took us some imagining of what it was like to basically strong arm arm him aboard. Um, and so that's what we did with Lost Aboard was we imagined what it was like in London to be marched aboard a ship to New Zealand you didn't want to go on and mm -hmm. what happened in the past. Um, and so we're actually going to have a blog post pretty soon with this other uh, historian who's been digging into McBarnett and trying to figure it out. It's actually been very challenging because that's a very common name. And it's oh, often, I bet. Yeah, and it's an often misspelled name, too. Um, so, yeah, it's been fun. Um, but to answer your question, real or not, I just imagine what their lives are going to be like. Um, you know, and sometimes I can look and look in history and imagine it with history. And sometimes I'm imagining what lives would be like in Chicago if I was psychokinetic and a telepath. So sure. it's, it's all kind of the same. So I'm just I'm just kind of curious when you say that when you imagine that do you imagine it from their perspective or that you're next to them like a fly on the wall? I always write. I prefer to write in first person. Oh, so okay. To me, and it's so hard. I imagine. I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it. It's like you almost slip into another personality, another person. Um, okay. Yeah. So. To me, I'm imagining it if I was in that situation or if I was that person. Oh, excellent, excellent. And, and I imagine that there's occasions that you might switch from perspective or something, depending on what you're writing. There is, yeah. Now, I have an understanding. I am told that you are, among other things, an incredible wor world builder, which is one of my favorite parts of writing. Do you have any tips or any ideas or something you want to share about world building? Oh, goodness. World building. Um, I think a lot of it, and, and I think it's because I'm a very logical writer. Um, I, I, when, you know, especially when you're writing speculative fiction and you're creating those worlds, you have to create logical parameters around that. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I really do very in-depth analysis of, okay, if like, let's, let's go ahead and let's talk about the warehouse series. So my warehouse series is about um, people who have been genetically modified to be telepathic and psychokinetic, um, mm. in addition to intelligent and beautiful and charismatic and everything else. 
So I had to ask myself, okay, what would society be like if we had the ability to do that? Well, in theory, this idea of like, I shall pay a great deal of money to have the child that I want sounds fabulous. I mean, for all of us that are parents, sounds great. But then you have to start being like, okay, what are the societal consequences of that? Especially if you have people who can't afford to pay that. And then what are the societal implications when you are constantly telling your children you are perfect and I paid for you to be perfect? What, what, does, that do to, what does that do to them? And so, you know, it, to me, that is a part of, of world building is that you're setting up the rules of the society and then how the world is set up, whether or not they use cars, whether or not they use um, uh, teleportation devices, whether or not it's... Uh, a, a mind thing or not, it all kind of follows suit. Um, so I, I think it just goes back to, I just, I put myself in my character's shoes and I almost do a 360 of what does everything look like around them? Do you, do you find that you do come up with a lot of things in the world that maybe you don't use, at least on like the first novel or the novel that you first came up with? Oh my gosh, so much stuff. Oh, I have I have so many files just full of like random things. And sometimes it's frustrating as a writer because you're like, but, but, but I want to tell you, I want to tell you about like this thing that I spent so much time trying to figure out. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't serve the plot, you, you, yeah. can't, you can't put it in there. So you just kind of hope at some point you can work it in. Excellent. Now, now I think just listening, you know, I, you know, I feel and I think the audience, I think if we're just listening to you and how excited you are, I can tell you're a fun person. <laughs> so, so, I, and and I don't say that a lot. Of, a lot. I mean, I've got a lot of guests that are, are are fun, but you know, I I would just say that you know, just talking to you right now, this is a fun person. So, what is the most fun part of writing to you? Oh my gosh! So, growing up, so you know, as as most writers are, um, most writers start off by reading a lot and they envision these worlds. And at some point I started to go, wait, 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 I can create my own worlds. And then I can create words that teach people about the worlds in my head. And I can share that with people. That's like the best job ever. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's it's sharing and it's it's picking the right word choices to evoke the right emotion and to set the right scene and to show share share the description of what it is that I'm seeing. Um, I yeah, I, I love it so much. Excellent, excellent. Um, now I, I kind of went over it, but you seem have so much on your plate. What are some of the projects that you have on on the near horizon? Oh my gosh. Um, so we just, um, No Bad Books just released Released, which is an anthology. It's a horror anthology. Of, and the idea is, is that something got out. And we had all these wonderful stories. Uh, and some of them are psychological. Some of them are just, you know, straight up blood and gore. Some of them really kind of... Uh, monster stories, I'm monster sure. Monster stories, yep. Um, go uh, goddesses. There's a wonderful goddess story. Oh, There's, wow. There's um, a story about... Um, uh, holding a prisoner in your mind, um, so kind of telepathy. There's a story about aliens, um, but it's it's really fun and it just came out, so I highly recommend it. Um, and I've 
really gotten into reading anthologies and they're wonderful because you can read a short story, put it down and come back, you know, a day or two later and still kind of enjoy it a lot. Um, exactly. I, I love anthologies. I read them at lunch because I can get close to getting it done in my, my lunch hour. Exactly. Exactly. So that's one thing. Um, we just uh, published The Gulch Jumpers. And The Gulch Jumpers is a book about, it's a road trip book, and it's about three unlikely friends who take a trip to the crossroads um, because one of the characters, he wants to give up his musical ability to try to find out what happened to his daughter. So um, it's and it's a journey book. It's a Phoenix book. It's about obviously when you're lost and confused, you go on a trip and then hopefully you get to find yourself at the end. Um, but it's a wonderful, wonderful book. It has um, a lot of history about bluegrass music in it. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, so it's a fun one. Um, my business partner, S. Faxon, she's going to have an origin um, novella coming out at the beginning of the year uh, for her uh, Blue Dragon Society. Um, that one will be coming out as well mid-year. Um, and I'm still working on the sequel to Warehouse Dreams. That one has been a beast, um, but I actually feel like I'm starting to wrap my arms around it. So hopefully that one will be out mid-year as well. So, so tell me if I am completely off on this, but when you were talking uh, talking about that and the, the musician going to the, Ross, the, the crossroads, mm -hmm. I got serious Robert Johnson vibes. That's what it's based off of. Okay. It's, yeah, it's based on, and so Robert Johnson, you know, bluegrass and everything else, that's actually what it, A, inspired the entire book, but it actually inspires the character. And so he talks about that song and Robert Johnson and everything else and about that's why he's going to the crossroads. So for people that don't know, um, and, and oh, what was the podcast? Lore did an episode about, about this. So Robert Johnson, according to legend, had no musical ability whatsoever went to the crossroads, sold his soul to get him to get musical ability and then became he's he really is the grandfather of bluegrass music. Um, and if you listen to if, if you go and you listen to the, the, the scritchy records, you really can feel he had this talent. And of course, he died young because, you know, sold his soul to the devil. But um, and that's one of the things that I love so much about the gold jumpers is about how it discusses um, discusses that story and then bluegrass in general. Well, you, you had me at bluegrass. Yeah. Oh, you should check it out. Oh, I, I will. I, 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 I will. I, I'm going to. I am. In fact, hopefully my mom's not listening, but my mom's a big bluegrass fan. And so she may be getting this for Christmas. Oh, wonderful. So, oh, she'll so, love so it. mom, skip this. Skip this part of the interview. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> Now, um, no, if, if uh, you know, we're, we kind of got everything booked in for the year or so, but if I can convince DB that we're going to do a, a, a Robert Johnson segment, we, we will. Okay. I'll tell you what, too, and I know we're going off on a tangent. I will tell the author to connect with you. Well, I would appreciate that. Thank you so much. You got it. Now, um, and yeah, thank you. Because, yeah, I, Robert Johnson is something that I could go off on a tangent on. 
but we're kind of running out of time. And, and like I said, this has been incredible fun. I just love talking to you. But this is sort of our signature question. If you could be in charge of any creative project in any medium, no limitation on funding or copyrights or anything, what would it be? Oh, no limitation on copyrights? Oh, yeah. I would do a Wizard of Oz thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anything so, specifically? Or? Oh, my gosh. Uh, oh. I, don't I know, know I kind of put you on the I put you no, on the spot no. there, didn't I? Yeah. Um, so to me, growing up, I read um, I read the Wizard of Oz books, um, all fourteen of them, so many times growing up. Um, I was completely obsessed with them. Um, but I've never I. Yeah, I've never. Now my brain's like going a million miles a minute. I, I know. Um, once you once you think that question, you're going to be thinking it all week. I will. I'm going to have to see because I think that one's. I think that one's open. I I might be able to do something with it. So I'm pretty sure that it is public domain. Yeah. So I'm going to throw this out to to uh, also our listeners is that part of our show is, you know, the interviews, me and D.A.B. talking about uh, the Cthulhu mythos and role-playing games. But the other parts are he finds these wonderful public domain stories. And he has several uh, Wizard of Oz or different Oz stories, some of the less known ones (laughs) that people have recorded and put up to public domain. So, you know what, we're going to ask D.B., Please, DB. Uh, we also put on the link some of the uh, some of the past the People's Guide to uh, uh, Cthulhu Mythos, but also some of the Black uh, Black Audio Tales and some of the uh, Oleander Book Club episodes that have uh, Wizard of Oz. We'll ask them to link it uh, for some of our listeners, and maybe maybe something you'd like to click on there. Yeah, really high quality. Oh yeah, definitely. I will. I'm actually making a note right now. Well, I have absolutely, like I said, it's just been a real pleasure to interview you. But do you have maybe anything you'd like to add or or share with our audience? Um, No, I don't think so. Um, As I said before, my name's Teresa. Um, uh, I've got the Warehouse Dreams book, which is about um, a school for psychokinetic and telepathic children in Chicago. Um, The main character is completely flawed. Um, She's wonderful, but very flawed. The best kind. Yeah. Best kind of characters. Um, Working on the sequel for that one. I also have uh, River City Widows, um, which is about a uh, a family who the stepdaughter brings a Ouija board home from college and Oops. uses it and then, you know, hijinks ensue. Um, so it's about solving the mystery of who lived in the house beforehand and maybe what kind of got out. Um, so that one's a fun one. Um, we've got uh, Lost Aboard, which we talked about, which is the creative nonfiction about the Ghost Aboard Star of India. And then Released, which is that horror anthology I spoke about. Um, and then, you know, if you're an author, semi-sages of the pages, check us out. We're a lot of fun. Definitely. I definitely plan on it. And uh, do you have for your podcast, do you have a Facebook? Uh, I do. I do. Okay. Well, we will put links to that too in the show notes. Thank Again, you. thank you so much. And I hope to have you back on soon. Thank you so much. It was really fun to be here. I appreciate it. Great interview. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show, how to support our guests, and thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe, and remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. Good interview, Dave. Uh, as, yeah, um, uh, well, real. It was a real fun one. I yeah. really enjoyed that one. Good, good. So now it is time for D and D on D and D, and we're 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 talking about a capital city, and and we're not talking about capital city uh, from The Simpsons, but you know, if 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 I if I wanted to, I I would play that capital city music. But I also like being on YouTube and not being uh, having copyright strikes. So Capital City, uh, Camorium. This is uh, it's not Camorium. Camorium. <laughs> now you have a, now you have a completely uncopyrighted uh, song for you. Yes, yes, uncopyrighted and unlistenable. I'm kidding. Uh, so. We've got. No, you're, not. <laughs> you're right. Uh, this 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 uh, city. Um, it's a Clark Ashton Smith city. It's not Conan, but it, it's it's closer to Conan's time period than our time period. And I can never remember if Conan and Clark Ashton Smith stuff, like if uh, how. Uh, Howard and Smith's stuff is like supposed to be at the same time or if like Smith's stuff is supposed to be before Howard's time if like it's like is 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 that the land with the Atlanteans and then Conan's land is like you know post Atlantis so this is the Hyperborean Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and 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 Conan is the Hiberian or not even the Hiberian Hiberian's the real one yeah so um yeah, it gets a little bit confusing mm-hmm. which one is which, and it's all headcanon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it's like... So, I, so, I, so, to me, it happened like in two different dimensions, uh, but if I'm running a game, my players don't know the difference. Yeah, yeah. In, in I my, will say that the Hyperboreans, mm-hmm. the Smith stuff... Yeah. Is what Chaosium took and run with. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, and in, in, in my head canon, it's all the same, and uh, the Clark Ashton Smith stuff happens before the Conan stuff, and that's why, you know, Conan never fights Vormi. Um, and if he does, it's it's probably like the very 
uh, like tail end uh, degenerate vivoramy or something like that. Uh, and yeah, no, no. So the hyperborean might be with the Atlantean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I just kind of, you know, it's like Conan is post. It's like Cole, uh, King Cole possibly could have been during Clark Ashton Smith's stuff, but the, Conan. That was the Atlantean. Yeah, that yeah. Was the Atlantean period. Yeah, and, and Conan, definitely not. Uh, there's, there's no way that any Conan heroes and Clark Ashton Smith heroes could bump elbows because it's like. I don't know. It's 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 like the difference between like classical Greek and uh, you know uh, oh goodness uh, modern uh, Greek. Oh, I was gonna say uh, Troy. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, that uh, Tro- Trojan. Uh, anyway, um, but uh, actually, that's like what six hundred years. It's even further than that. It's like the difference between the thirteenth and the first dynasty of Egypt. Well, you know. Uh, it's 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 a big chunk of time. It's a big chunk of time between these two. And you know, because but they are they both are Iron Age civilization. Yeah. You know, that something terrible happens to destroy them. Yeah. And with Hyperborea, it's very it's the Ice Age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But what we want to talk about though is a uh, not settlement it's it's the capital city of this of, of this region and because of a vormi brigand uh, who is a direct descendant of Sathagwa gets captured and due to its nature it is imprisoned in ways that can't be you know it's like uh execution doesn't work uh concealing it in a copper coffin doesn't work it breaks out it turns in it it, it turns into something that's barely describable and definitely not humanoid anymore um it's it's to the point where the city guard are useless and everyone leaves a capital city because of a criminal like uh, apex criminal turns into an apex predator and everyone just has to leave an iron age capital city this is like i don't know i'm, I'm trying to think of any um iron age capital cities off the top of my head and i don't have any i, I have some bronze age oh, london oh okay yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> not victorian london but no you know the london there have been london since the the romans yeah yeah but yeah, it would be like if London uh, during the Iron Age was like there was a dangerous creature in it and it was so bad that everyone just went, you know what? Let's uh, make the new let's let's make the new uh, capital. Um, I don't know. Bristol's nice this time. Of year. <laughs> everyone, we're moving to Wales. <laughs> But yeah, um, but yeah, no. It it would be like if a capital city went. Okay, we have to abandon this, uh, and and like everyone in charge is like, okay, we are going to set up shop in this well fortified city so that whatever's in the capital can't take over this building either, or uh, this 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 uh, uh, civiliz- uh, city either. So yeah. So so I had two thoughts on. Sure. That. Yeah. Go for it. One is making me wonder. Were there ever looters in the Godzilla movies? Oh, yeah. Because part of what this story about is about is some 
uh, or, or some of some of uh, the stories for this, uh, the uh, tale of Setapra Cero, I believe it's pronounced, is a master thief who him and his buddy are like, you know what? Let's go ransack that uh, capital city that no one goes to anymore. That's quote unquote haunted. Oh man, we can't go there. It's haunted. Yeah, you know what? That's what they tell babies. Let's go. And they go and then they run. Someone loses a hand. Not going to tell you the whole story. Um, and yeah, uh, losing a hand, that's not a spoiler. It's, it's talked about in the very first uh, sentences of the story. But, I mean, we have, like, a master thief who's, who's like, known for, like, not only being, like, a thief who's of uh, cunning and guile, but also, like, you know, he'll, 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 uh, he'll sneak into your harem. He'll, he'll steal your jewels right under your nose. I mean, this is, like, you know, loop on the third level jewel thievery. This is, like, your, uh, your, your, uh, gentleman thief, your, uh, you know, and... And he gets disfigured and <laughs> tells people, don't go here. This is why. Um, well, yeah. You know what else? It, it made me think of a, a, a recent movie out about two or three months ago. Yeah. Uh, Army of the Dead. Yeah. Where the city of Las Vegas is surrounded. Okay. And, and it, a zombie infection. Oh. So they have these huge walls and all these... Uh, refugees from Las Vegas living mm-hmm. on the other side of the wall. Okay. So there's this hu- huge city that's just full of zombies. Yeah. That the government's about to nuke to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And so the team tries to break in to basically steal a huge amount of money that is uh, underneath one of the casinos. So it's the last heist before they destroy Las Vegas. Yeah. Army of the Dead. They, you know, they they've got a pilot. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a seal. Uh, a, a smuggler who smuggles people in and out of Las Vegas so they yeah. can retrieve their things. A uh, uh, master lockpick. Yeah, but and, you, and you, including they have a couple of because it's modern times. They have a couple of people who are YouTube stars for uh, shoot. They have YouTube channels where they shoot zombies. Oh, okay. But you know, for your campaign, you're going to probably uh, want to have a bunch of people. Uh, you know, who, who are skilled in a lot of different things. And, you know, it's like, that's, that's maybe your cruise, your cruise thing is like, yeah, we go into dungeons and we do this and we do that. And, you know, people hire us to steal stuff from like rich people. And sometimes we just, you know, cross a rich person we don't like, and we just steal from them if they're jerks. And, you know, it's like, Maybe your crew decides, let's really show everyone how cool we are. We're going to go into that haunted city that no one goes into, that forbidden city. And we're going to steal back, like, the crown jewels from, you know, no one's been there in, like, 500 years. There's no way that it's still haunted or whatever's there is there. And that's when you get to, like, do the slow burn, the slow build. You, you know, have, like, maybe a little couple little creatures here and there that have nothing to do with anything it's just like oh wow since the city's been abandoned so long you know some 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 stuff has come out of the sewers and is now living in the streets at night or you know oh yeah no the uh the crypt that used to be uh sealed by uh the priests that you know uh did stuff here the crypt's now uh unsealed and you've got some undead walking around but the undead is not what the issue is the undead is a byproduct of the fact that you have some like inky shoggoth thing that can tear people apart that is now 
pretty much had the city to itself for the last couple hundred years and can tell the moment that like, say, some fleshy thing that it can eat, unlike those skeletons that walk around at night or those rats that, uh, those giant rats that uh, have taken up residence in shops or anything like that. I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot that you can do also, at the same time, I do feel like it is kind of limited because it's like you're just saying, okay, you've got a capital city and you've got a monster. Go. <laughs> and if it's a sci-fi game, you could be like, oh, yeah, this uh, capital city was taken over by a genetic abomination. Uh, we had a bunch of scientists that didn't know or, you know, unregulated, whatever. And then, you know, but now we live in new, new Vegas and welcome to, you know, a running man type show. We drop criminals off in our old capital city and watch them run, you know, the people take bets and you do stuff like that. I mean, you, I feel like uh, and or, or you could have like a bunch of shadow runners that are going into a city that's like abandoned. But then they find out why. Uh, Let's use Las Vegas again. Why Las Vegas was abandoned. Maybe it's mm. things living in the sewers. Maybe it's uh, some sort of flying moth things that live in the high towers that only come out at night. Uh, I don't know. Get some bug city going on in there. Um, I don't know. I, I really love this concept of an abandoned city that has like one big thing that can hunt people. And you can, you know, if, if you want to play it a horror game, you can slu slowly pick people off uh, and then have them be like lesser versions that also help hunter stuff like that. You know, um, I, I feel. And, and if, it, if it's a science fiction, mm -hmm. you know, it could be an, an alien. It could be Shoggoth or alien. Oh, yeah. Or it could be it, it could be AI. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It could be like AI connected to some sort of like nanoparticles. That's. Who knows? It could be an alien AI. It could be like uh, DARPA gone wrong. I mean, that's 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 one I like to fall on from time to time for like Call of Cthulhu or not Call of Cthulhu, but Delta Green, like a DARPA project gone wrong that has nothing to do with the Cthulhu mythos. It's just like, I don't know, some sort of like uh, stupid humans did it themselves. Yeah, stupid humans did it themselves. Uh, stupid humans uh, created a satellite that has a microwave transmitter that, you know, is making people's heads blow up. It has nothing to do with the Cthulhu mythos at all. It just really seemed like the Cthulhu mythos. Um, or, but, or what if what if you're doing like an Aliens game mm -hmm. and Hadley Hope is like not just this little colony out there, but a huge city. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is, that is like, yeah, that would be like, a, you could even do something like that, but with a color out of space. <laughs> uh, where it's like, uh, you have some sort of like colony that's like, everyone's like, uh, we don't know what happened to anyone. There's all this gray dust everywhere. Um, and, you know, it's like, you have a colony that didn't get hit by one, didn't get hit by, you know, got, maybe got hit by like a whole bunch. And then you have to figure out, are, th are they still here? Is it still an issue? And you may not have to deal with the color out of space, but you may have to deal with a bunch of like uh, slowly going insane uh, people who will attack you at first sight that, you know, it's like if you hit them hard enough, they'll just turn into a gray ash and like explode or something like that. Uh, the, the, the Expanse, and not to spoil it for thing, but like towards the end of the Expanse uh, books or the second season, they have that, but it's a, uh, it's an entire moon. 
Oh, wow. It's a, and, but it's, there are people living inside the moon, so it's an underground moon. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Very interesting. Where, where it's an alien race, where if it isn't the aliens mutating it, it's the government cleanup or the corporate cleanup teams going in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that could, like, turn your Delta Green game into a game of doom very quickly, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, oh, man, it's just I, I feel like there's so many variants. There's so many ideas. You know, it doesn't always have to even be a giant town. It could be a small town. It could be an underground bunker system from uh, the Cold War. It could be a moon colony. It could be um, a suburb uh, an isolated uh, town. It could be a mining colony on Mars. It, I mean, you could do a lot of things. You just have like one big monster that's hunting you. Maybe, and that big monster has to be able to do things like squeeze through keyholes or under doors or, um, you know, change its shape from walking on like a thousand little fingers to being like, you know, uh, a long thing that can like reach up four stories to open up a door and then hold on to the doorknob and pull itself up and then you know see it chase you know you see it chase someone else first so that you can see some of its capabilities and then you know like if you're doing it in uh, fantasy medieval or like bronze age or something like that maybe a deer or even a lion because it's been so isolated maybe there's like lions sleeping in the middle of the streets now that you know chase rats or whatever um some sort of like large predator is now wandering the streets during the day or at least this week uh who knows you may run across lion bones um but yeah no no it's just like i i feel like there's kind of so much you can do with it but it's always kind of sort of the same idea of like being chased by something but that's still awesome being chased by something and then trying to have to figure something out but you have to like slowly feed that information to your players and then keep the horror element up the whole time and, um, and the, the adrenaline and the suspense up yeah yeah and um my recommendations for that is mess with the temperature of your house and play synthesizer music and make it so that it's like, you know, plan out your playlist so that it slowly builds up. Uh, or you can put on a random playlist and just hope that, uh, you know, uh, your, your, your synth music, your moog music for your mood doesn't uh, suddenly change into a different PlayStation or that... Uh, Pandora doesn't decide to play Red Hot Chili Peppers in the middle of your spooky yeah. gaming session because that yeah. is the worst. But no, I think there's a, a lot, and there's a lot of examples. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you could take sort of the smaller things like you know Hadley's Hope from Alien, yeah. or the 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 mining thing in Zygot, mm -hmm. and just make it into a huge city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Alien is a prime example of, of of this concept. You have a ship, and it's it's. I, I guess it's it's like instead of having a haunted house, it's like having a haunted city. But it is that basic concept of people being chased by something. Um, it's not a ghost. It's 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 not a spooky ghoul. It's it's an other. And because of its abilities that, who knows what its abilities are. Maybe it can project radiation. Maybe it can walk through walls. Whatever it is, it can do stuff that you and your friends can't. 
and and, and then the, the there's a couple good examples in the Dark Horse comics mm-hmm. of him being in cities and Earth. Yeah. Uh, London is one definitely, and there's one in, another in South America, and another is like, I, it's like I think Detroit, but it's some sort of generic uh, American city mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where where they actually do take over Earth. Gotcha. And there's a couple of the comics, some of the the early '80s time comics, mm-hmm. where where the Earth is overrun and where you see the the, the effects of a city and the, the people hiding in the rubbish. Gotcha. That's crazy. Yeah, no. Um, Camorium. <laughs> you, you can do a lot with that concept. And man, I like it. I really do like it. It's it's one of my favorite go-to horror things. Not go-to horror, but like uh, if I could just do that for every campaign, I would. Because, oh man, I love that stuff. So, what do we, uh, any, anything you've been up to uh, media-wise? What have you been checking out? What have you been watching? Well, um, so, I finally, well, they finally released the last five episodes of, um, of Money Heist, yeah. or uh, Casa de Papel for Spanish-speaking fans. And, cool. And, it, it, yeah, it does not disappoint. The, the, the last five episodes are as good as you know anything else in the the last five seasons oh cool cool um i have been reading a lot and doing karaoke as i said yeah thank you ralph uh and i also have been playing quite a bit of games from a company this is not sponsored content this is what i've been up to a company called and people who hear me say this and that are excited puppet combo puppet combo makes lo-fi horror games that look like they're um meant for like uh fifth generation uh game consoles like the playstation and it's it's just like really low res poly and then there's like this filter of vhs put over the top of it and it's a lot of like being chased, being hunted games. It's a lot of like, mm. um, but it, it's it's like uh, there's one game where you are a working as a cashier at a convenience store, and you slowly put stuff away. You sweep. You talk to people, and while that's happening, a white van keeps driving through the parking lot, and there's keys missing, and. It ends up being a prequel to another game called Don't Go Into the House or something like that, where you wake up in a cage made of chicken wire with uh, bizarre religious uh, television blaring in the background, and you have to figure out how to get out of the house, and you can sneak through air ducts, you can throw rocks to the... you're, you're trying to get out of a house where uh, a chain, uh, a leather face type figure is butchering people and uh, just it's it's uh, and that's kind of the theme to a lot of these games is like avoid detection from the serial killer or be a serial killer and avoid detection by uh, the police or other people. It's all very kind of like um, PlayStation 1 graphics, but I want to say like late 70s, early 80s feeling like slasher movies. 
and it's just like the music and the tone that these create is if 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 you enjoy Texas Chainsaw Massacre and early Rob Zombie movies where he really kind of went after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre aesthetic, but also like uh, analog horror and a lot of like um, callbacks to like uh, 80s uh, artifacts in your videos and stuff like that, like tracking lines and stuff like that to give kind of like a authentic feeling to your inauthentic experience. Uh, I love that kind of stuff. I mean, I... It, it, it started when I first read like Dracula and there's like the articles in Dracula and then finding out like Lovecraft did that too and other writers who do this kind of like I don't know uh, fake media within other media and uh, Puppet Combo really does that with all of their stuff a lot of their stuff oh, is cool. all kinds of tied together but it's also scary as hell I, I recommend checking out a playthrough before buying it because I had to make myself play it because I'd spent money on it. <laughs> but okay. It was a terrifying experience, and I loved it. Uh, Puppet combo, check it out. It's it's better than TV, but <laughs> yeah. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, if if you ever played like uh, not not you, Dave, but uh, other people out there, if you ever played the old like uh, Resident Evil, it has the the games have that terrible tank style uh, controls, and they do forced camera angles, and it's all the like really frustrating stuff from like video games from the 90s but they do it on purpose because um, if if you have nostalgia uh, no because if you have a hard time getting away from the terror if like um there's rules for like how the tank tracks work like how how uh the tank controls work based off the camera and it's like very frustrating like in resident evil one you think you're supposed to be going this way but because the fact that your character's head is positioned this way it now works the the uh, you're supposed to do it like this and it's 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 kind of frustrating but also at the same time that's that's part of the terror it's 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 kind of like the uh building in the uh mechanic of like someone getting their foot stuck or something like that it's like ah, i can't move i can't react it's like and and then you put uh adrenaline and you put whatever else on top of it and it is as terrifying if not more terrifying than most most horror movies because you're part of it and you have to react to it and it doesn't matter you're, that it's, you're invested yeah it doesn't matter that it's you know low res low bit uh computer video game images it's it's still terrifying but yeah um again i'm done talking about puppet combo again not a sponsor but yeah um but if they're listening if they're listening and they want to send us anything we love it uh, <laughs> uh anything else you have to say before we uh, head out into that spooky night dave i think that's pretty much it i think i gotta go guard my giant wooden goat here oh yeah yeah and i've uh i am uh i don't know i don't have anything going on the graveyard's pretty quiet in december um 
the kids yeah I, I think i have to prep for a new D game coming up so that's about it uh everyone we'll see you next week uh we'll have more going on about the goat and everything at the goat farm and everything at the graveyard and everything in oleander oregon um recorded and produced at the kzom facilities oleander oregon uh go down to oblivions uh they've got the secret santa going on this year even though i mean any any mention of santa is secret so that's the only place you're gonna hear any mention of the s word this year so those in the know you know where to go and uh just don't tell the mayor uh that we're doing it crap the mayor listens to this have a good one everyone bye rate review subscribe tell everyone you know uh, go to the show notes, go to the store, buy a t-shirt, tell your mom, tell your pa, ship you down to Sathagwa, we got that shirt. Thank you so much, and have a great day.